I'd probably argue people like you guys that get in the water every single day and experience elements of euphoria stay significantly younger than the, than the age actually shows. I hope so. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to run it hot till the wheels fall off. What up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. We got a really amazing story to tell today from a guy who is an all-around adventurist, an all-around waterman, a big-time surfer. He's come toe-to-toe with death, and I'm really excited to share his story with you, and I'm very fortunate to have played a small role in his story. Mr. Brandon Lillard, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, buddy. Happy to be here. Super awesome to have you here. Um, I'm a big believer that we are all just a collection and a big bundle of stories. And you, my friend, have one of my favorite stories that I'm very fortunate enough to have been a part of a little bit. It cycles back to, what, 2015? 2014 is when I ate shit. 2014 is, is, is when this, this whole awesomeness kind of took place and collaborated and came toe-to-toe with Invictus. You know, let's start back at the life of Brandon Lillard. You know, you're a big-time surfer. You have connections throughout the surf industry. You have friends. You have adventuring that, that, that's on your plate. When did this whole adventuring thing start for you? I don't know if I would say I'm an adventurer. I would just say I'm, I was never good enough at anything where someone, somebody wanted to pay me to do it. So <laughs> I, just, I just had to figure out ways to do fun stuff so in the surf world does that make you like in real life a real kook pretty much (laughs) (laughs) with a capital k underlined in bold yeah for sure a real life kook Uh, i was uh i don't even know what year it would have been i was pretty lucky to grow up in an area where you know your free time revolved around being at the beach and surfing and i got to be friends with a few people that had some pretty significant influence on me as far as me traveling and doing stuff at the end of the day one of them his name is john roseman and he's one of the owners of tabura island in fiji which if you're not a surfer it probably doesn't ring a bell but it's island that takes about 15 minutes to walk all the way around if you go slow and pick up that's shells. tiny <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's 14 acres wow which and, is the size of some people's homes here in san diego yeah it just happens to have three of the best waves in the world on it very cool. So, Very cool. And you mentioned a second ago that you had free time. By free time, you mean you skipped school to go surf and do things outside? Is that what, what you're yeah, referencing? Yeah, that's pretty much what everybody did. <laughs> um, but I started traveling, and growing up in San Diego, you go to Mexico because it's right 10 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Started going down there, and then, you know, I would just go to the cheap places. Bali used to be really cheap, and we'd show up there with eight or $900 and stay till we ran out of money. Nice. And, you did, know, you, did you have a return ticket planned or did you just live on the edge and wing it? No, no, no. Always, you, you, They wouldn't let us in without a return ticket because oh, okay. we just stay. <laughs> um, but then I, I met John. I got to be friends with John, the owner of Tavarua, or one of the owners. And I went down there a couple of times and was super lucky and got offered a job working there, which is, it's like the dream job for a surfer. You, your only responsibilities are driving the boats, making sure everyone who you take surfing comes back from surfing and not letting anyone die. So you're basically like a lifeguard that gets to surf a lot. That's awesome. And, and dive and spearfish and run real fish. And How old were you when you kind of started playing around in Fiji? Man, that's a great question. I have no idea. How old are you now? 
too old? <laughs> I know you love that question. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I just, That's actually a pretty cool story. For those of you that don't know Brandon, he did just celebrate a birthday. Out of respect for him, I won't say the number. You can say it. Fuck, I don't care. I'm 50. I just turned 50. He just turned 50. Fucking old. <laughs> and his girlfriend reached out and you know, asked that we try to keep him out of the house to try to throw a surprise for him. And so... Uh, unfortunately last year I lost my dad and one of my dad's favorite lines was get it done. And so Brandon and I came in, we had a cool training session here, here at Invictus San Diego. And then afterward went and got some matching tattoos that say, get it done. And, uh, you know, that, that, that encompasses a lot of the whole Invictus mindset piece, not just talking about it, but being about it, really having action, not just words. And Brandon's story really resonates with that concept. And so as you can see, he started his journey kind of skipping school to try to go surf and try his best to stay out of trouble. And then he found his way over to Fiji. And then, you know, how were you financing the eight and nine hundred dollars that you were mentioning? Were you working out here or like what did you do to kind of get some spare cash? I worked still to this day the best job of my whole entire life. Mitch's Surf Shop in La Jolla. Oh, that's a famous spot, Mitch's Surf Shop. Everybody's got Mitch's Surf Shop shirts here in the, San Diego. It's hands down the best surf shop in the world and the best owner in the world. Mitch, he still works there every single day. It's been there since 1966 or something. Wow. That's a that's a, seriously a credit to not only Mitch, but that business and kind of what they stand for to be around for that long. Yeah, and he's he's so honest. Best boss ever. I would work every single day. It literally, I'd work for months every single day. And then when I had enough money, I'd say, Mitch, I'm going to go on a trip. I'm leaving next Monday or whatever. And he'd say, okay. And then right before I'd leave, he'd give me like a card or something and it'd say, you know, have a, have a nice trip. And then he'd lock the door and lock himself in there. And, you know, like that's just how he, he went out. He would always go out the back door, but he was the only guy that had keys. Wow. And uh, he'd, always Super old a, school. he'd always give me a card or something. He'd always have, you know, a couple hundred bucks in there. Have a good trip. Like best boss ever. That's, that's really cool. That, that, that kind of is very interesting because you look at modern day jobs and it's always about the customer. It's always about, you know, making sure the customer or the client is happy. But it, it sounds like Mitch did a really good job keeping the employee super happy. Yeah. And to your point, he has relationships with everyone that's anyone in the surf world. They know who he is or he knows them personally. All the surf magazines for years wanted to do a story about him. And he's like, nope, nope. Wow, what a humble he, guy. He just He just wants to go surfing and run a surf shop. Is he pretty good at surfing? Yeah, I mean, he's he's awesome. He's, That's cool. He's, all in, he's really into stand-up paddling now, but That's awesome. he's out. He's in the water every single day. I don't even know how old he is. I'd probably argue people like you guys that get in the water every single day and experience elements of euphoria stay significantly younger than the, than the age actually shows. I hope so. <laughs> I, I'm just going to run it hot till the wheels fall off. I like, like that. I like that. Uh, That's a life well lived. Yeah, so I worked there, and you know, I'd be like, okay, I'm, I want to leave on this date. So I'd figure out how much money I needed, and I knew how much I'd make per week if I worked every day. And I would go to Fiji for, out of six months, I would go for two months. Come home for four, go back for two. Come home for four, go back for two. Kind of moving along a little bit. How did you get into skydiving and base jumping? When did that start? Skydiving just always looked really cool. And I was in Hawaii and I was sitting in a restaurant and there was a postcard and I don't know what it was for. It was like one of those ad cards, you know, like they put them on your car windows or whatever. It was sitting on the table where I was sitting and it was a picture of 
this pro skater, Bob Bernquist, who, who I also happen to be I actually know with. who that is. Yeah. Back when I used to be a, a wannabe skater back in the day, a yeah. poser. Yeah, so Bob, it was a picture of Bob running out of the back of a plane. And I looked at that, and I'm like, man, that is so cool. I want to do that. And I looked up, and he came walking in the door of the restaurant. Ironically, at the same time you were looking at yeah. that card. Holy and I was, And I'm like, hey, Bob, and you know, we're friends. And he's like, hey, Brandon, how's it going? I'm like, I want to do this. And he's like, okay, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. That fast. And I was like, okay. And then that I take some courage to just be all ready to jump out of a plane right then and there. I kind of feel like, you know, like you open your mouth. Sometimes you got to live up to what you say you're going to do. <laughs> and uh, so I went the next morning, did a tandem and it was terrifying. But I was like, man, I want to learn how to do this. So I think I did two tandems. I did one in Hawaii, one here. And then I was like, screw this. I'm, I need to learn how to do this. So I just went out to Paris Valley, California and signed up and started going through the process of jumping. And After you did those first two tandems, how often were you jumping to try to gain the experience and the qualification to be able to do it on your own? I was probably going once a week because okay. it's, it's pretty expensive in the beginning. But um, I would go once a week. And you, I think you have to do eight jumps with it. You have your own parachute on. But the first two or three, you have two instructors with you holding on to you. And then when you open your parachute. How, how are they holding on to you? Is it side by side or how does that work? So you're like with you're, your own parachute. You're on your belly and there's one person on each side of you holding your arm and oh, side that's of your cool. leg. Like, are they strapped onto you at all? Like it's just grip? Oh, no, just grip. Oh man, that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, I mean, I figured they're pros. That's and, fair. And you know, everyone that taught me was, was really good and. In your learning stage, did you ever have any issues with the parachute? No, I didn't have any issues with the parachute until my 60th jump. Okay, what happened there? It opened really fast and broke my back. Ah, that's kind of where I want to jump into next. Was that skydiving or was that base jumping? No, that was skydiving. Okay. And that was, you know, a thousand jumps ago. Nice. So it was jump 60. And, it, you know, it was just a freak accident and it was nobody's fault. Just shit happens yeah but the wheels still haven't fallen off and you're still adventuring and you're still surfing and well yeah i mean and that was long before invictus days but from there i kept once i healed all i could think about was i want to i want to skydive i want to get in the air you know and I, at the at the time i only had 60 jumps yeah which isn't very many in the grand scheme of significantly more than me i've got two no 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 three three i've got yeah, three i was there for one of them yes no you were there for two of them I was? The first one, you didn't jump out of the plane oh, with yeah, us, yeah, but yeah. you were there to heckle me and make sure that I wasn't going to yeah. pussy out. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and then moving down that whole parachute road, I just have this lucky or unlucky ability sometimes where I'm like, you know, I'd really like to learn how to base jump. And all of a sudden, one of the best base jumpers in the world, you know, I end up on a trip with him. Who, who was that? His name's Eric Rohner. Okay. He's, he's passed away since, but. You know, I ended up on this trip with him and Travis Pastrana and a couple other people. And I'm like, I want to do that. And he's like, yeah, I can, I can teach you. That's awesome. Pause right there for a quick second. So you went from loving and, and, and the euphoric feeling of surfing. Yeah. You ended up seeing that card and wanting to skydive. And then you met Bob Bernquist and you got into skydiving. Yeah. 60 jumps or so later, you finally decided, hey, I want a base jump. For for our listeners, since we most we're mostly in the fitness industry, what what is the difference between skydiving and base jumping? Skydiving is jumping out of an airplane or a helicopter or a hot air balloon. Okay. And generally, 
it's at a much higher altitude. Okay. Which makes it a lot safer. What's, what's the typical height for a skydive? 12 to 13,000 feet. Okay. And base jumping is jumping off a static object, a building, antenna, a span, which is a bridge, mm-hmm. any kind of bridge, or a cliff, which is earth. That's the, what is it, an acronym? Yeah, yeah. B-A-S-E. Nice. Very building cool. antenna span earth. Man, you're so smart over there. But I have, I never got the. He I ne- claims to have a brain injury, guys, but he doesn't really. He's, I never, he's a lot smarter than he looks. I never got the. I never got the building. So I guess I'm just an ace jump. In order to do, yeah, right. In order to do the building, is it technically illegal? It depends where and when. Okay. But it doesn't. I mean, to get that under your belt, it doesn't have to be an illegal jump. There's. Gotcha. There's a thing in Kuala Lumpur, I believe, every year, where they jump off that KL tower. Okay. So, you know, if I was able to go to that, but I just wanted to do it for the fun part of it. I didn't of course. care about getting the... How many base jumps would you say you've completed in your life? Uh, somewhere between 80 and 100. Okay. Very cool. Not not a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. And so all this adventure, meeting some really dope people, satisfying that euphoric experience in all those different highlight reels of surfing, base jumping, skydiving. Let's fast forward a little bit to your accident in 2016? 2014. 2014. So five years ago, you get involved in a base jumping accident. Let's share to some of our listeners, kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit. Where was it? And you know, what was kind of your experience and how did it take place? I was in Twin Falls, Idaho, jumping off a bridge there with a bunch of people. And I got invited to go in 48 hours and try and get BASE, not in that order, but get all the things checked off. Yep. So we'd been jumping the bridge, which is the span. We drove from Idaho to Utah to Box Canyon, Utah. There's a 300 foot cliff there. We're going to jump that, which was the E and drive to Vegas. There's an antenna in between Vegas and Utah somewhere. Mm-hmm. Climb the antenna, jump that. And then because Travis Pastrana has friends in high places, yeah, I think we were going to get to jump the Palms Casino. Oh, wow. So, you know, when I got invited, I was like, yes, sign me up. I'm in. For sure. Zero hesitation. Yeah. So we jumped the bridge for a couple of days. Then we drove to Utah to the cliff. Me, Travis, and another guy named Dusty... We're going to jump the cliff. We went to the cliff. We, we hiked up, and Roner was with us, and he was injured at the time, had a hurt. I think he was just coming back from a broken leg. And Roner's like one of the mentors, one of the guys yep. that was your close friends that got you into base jumping. Yep. And we all hiked up to the exit point where you jump, and Travis jumped first, and parachute opened, he landed. And it was funny. There's a video where he looks up, and the video's on the ground, and he's like, you can't do any worse than that. <laughs> that's, and, pretty, that's pretty cool that he's that humble. So I, I jumped, and we don't know. I mean, maybe somebody could figure it out, but I really don't care at this point. Could have been my body position. Could have been a gust of wind. Whatever it was, when my parachute opened, it was twisted 180 degrees, so it flew me immediately back into the cliff. Fuck. Did you know it was twisted when it deployed? Yeah. And what went through your head at that moment? I was trying to fix it. Okay. I mean, you have to. like. It's just fight or flight response in yeah, that moment. Yeah. And, and you're just, you and, know, you got to figure it out. And I mean, maybe a really experienced, really gnarly canopy pilot and base jumper could have somehow done something else. But 
in the video, it's like two seconds from the time it opens till I hit the cliff the first That's time. so fast. And I bounced off the cliff a couple of times. And Were I you still conscious at that yes. point? I, I crisply, clearly remember everything until I was maybe two feet off the ground. Wow. Because I remember looking at the ground and then in the video from my helmet, you see me look back and then I, it looks like I just relax. And when I looked down, I remember thinking, oh, fuck, this is going to suck. Wow. And then lights Was the out. GoPro on your helmet or on your wrist? On my helmet. Okay. Then it was lights out for a month. Wow. That is some powerful shit, man. Yeah, gravity. It'll fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, it will. Not just gravity, but the fact that you were conscious throughout all of it. Did you at any moment think that your life was gone? Or did you know that you could kind of power through? Like, what no. were some of the thoughts that went through your head? On the way down? Yeah. Like I said, my only thought was, oh, fuck, this is going to suck. And that, you know, like thinking back, it was either, it was like, yeah, this might be it. Or Travis has lived through way gnarlier stuff than this. So mm -hmm. Who knows? Maybe I'll walk out of did here. Did you shout to anybody or were you, was it just you versus gravity? No, there's no shouting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never obviously gone through toe to toe with with the afterlife like you have. So I'm curious, like, what goes on in the headspace through I, an experience like that? I think it's just survival mode. You just click into trying to fix the problem. Yeah. Did you stay relatively relaxed throughout your body, or did you find yourself like tensing and balling up as you were colliding I, with with Earth? I guess you would say. I mean, it, it was a pretty short ride, so I think I, I think I was fighting struggling with the canopy and then on one of the hits against the wall i think i got to the point where i couldn't hold on to the it's called risers i couldn't hold on to the risers anymore and i just kind of laid back and if i'm gonna go for a ride it might as well be a fun one it was looking back it all turned out good but at the at the moment it was not fun of course and just so you guys know like it's pretty cool that we're able to laugh about this now i would probably argue that there's not many people on the planet that would be able to laugh after an experience like this and that kind of sums up the mindset and the character of brandon over here and you know moving forward what kind of took place after that so you hit the ground travis is down there who else was there with you there's a couple filmers, Travis, Dusty, Roner. I don't remember who else. Wheels. What were the filmers from Nitro Circus? Yes. Gotcha. And what is Nitro Circus? It's changed now, but at the time it was Travis's little, I mean, he, they made movies, you know, with just, just all. A variation of a media company, maybe? Yeah, I guess you could say that. But it was more like, you know, they had clothing and stuff, but it was, it was Travis's tight group of friends that. Gotcha he was smart enough to figure out a way to, he's like, Hey, all my friends like doing the crazy stuff. I like to do riding dirt bikes, crashing cars, jumping off stuff. And he kind of formed this little crew of guys. And because he's, he's, he's like one of the nicest, most generous humans you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. But you know, he's like, how can I, how can I figure out a way to do all this fun stuff with my friends? And so they can make money too. Yeah. And that was kind of his, like a real life entourage. Kind of. And but, he's sort of but, playing the role of Vinnie Chase, but, but significantly more dangerous. But way cooler. <laughs> um, and yeah, and you know, that was that was his deal. And I, just because I got to be friends with a few of those guys, occasionally I'd get to hang out with them. That's dope. So you hit the ground. And what was what was the next step? Did you get helicoptered out of there? Were you driven somewhere? I don't I don't remember any of, course. of this, I've, but I've seen pictures. 
they carried me down on a stretcher, got me in an ambulance that was waiting. And there was a helicopter flying around, but they didn't land because I was really close to the hospital. Oh, cool. Like within a couple of miles. Would you say the proximity of the hospital maybe saved your life? No. Okay. I would say that divine intervention at some point. Okay. Also, there was the first person to me was a neurosurgeon who was hiking. Wow. Happened to be out there? Yeah. That's unreal. And he supposedly, I mean, I, I believe it, but he like made everyone take off their shirts and they made like a sea a collar for my neck, you know, because mm-hmm. I was face down in the dirt. Yeah, of course. And, you know, they didn't move me. And when they did move me, he made sure everything was... was spinal cord and neck all just yeah, in line. Yeah. And thank God I didn't have any spinal cord injuries. I yeah. mean, my injuries besides the head injury were pretty minor. Okay. Three broken ribs and a bunch of cuts. And that's really it. And this jump took place in Idaho? No, in Utah. In Utah. And then they transported you to the hospital. And then what took place after that? And I was in that hospital for maybe 10 days or two weeks. Okay. And you said three broken ribs. And then what other injuries did you sustain? Three broken ribs. I might have broke my scapula too. Okay. Um, and then just cuts, okay, flesh wounds, and I but and then a brain injury, that was icing on the cake. Yeah, but uh, but like as far as like physically like stuff that needed to heal, I like I looked beat up, but I wasn't like wasn't like I came back from war or something. Yeah, like of I course. Was, Would you attest? You know, a lot of your early life adventuring, staying active throughout your life, and then obviously taking part in CrossFit, making sure you had appropriate muscle mass and bone density as things that served as preventative care in this accident? I would say that working out, doing CrossFit, which is kind of funny to hear myself say that I do CrossFit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and and I wasn't doing it for that reason. Mm -hmm. I was doing it because I was in Hawaii and a friend of ours who's a really great human, his name's Kai Garcia, very high level black belt in jujitsu, high level surfer. The guy's like, a specimen, but he wasn't always that way. He went through a stage where he was fat and out of shape. And all of a sudden, you know, you show up in Hawaii and the guy's dropped like 60 pounds. He's ripped and he's a big dude. Yeah. And he, what was his name again? His name's Kai Garcia. Kai Garcia. When he invites you to something, you generally, if you say no, you're probably not going to get invited again. And Oh yeah. And so I was like, he's like, yeah, we're, we're doing these workouts. Meet, pick me up at 6am. And they were in a, um, like a self-storage facility. And the guy had like this roll-up door. I can't remember the guy's name. And he put out all the equipment, the weights and the rowers and the bikes and just do these workouts in the morning. And I was like, man, this is, you know, I've never really gone to a gym, but this is pretty fun. That's some pretty powerful stuff. I, I think it's Joe Rogan that says, and this relates to Kai Garcia a little bit. He says something along the lines of, I, I don't want to meet the super successful guy. I want to meet the motherfucker that lost his entire life. It flipped upside down and then he found a way to crawl from the trenches yeah. and then be, and then became successful. And that's what, what it sounds like this guy's kind of uh, like. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's just, he's a fucking hard worker and sounds he, like he turned his life around well, and used fitness as a tool for that. Yeah. I mean, and he, he had been super fit at, at times before that, Yeah, but he wasn't fit. You know, there was a time of his life where he definitely had gone off the fitness path and he's back on it hardcore now. For sure. So your CrossFit and your fitness journey cycles back to that 2012 interaction and spending time with him. Yeah. And then, you know, I was there for a month and then I was going home and I was like, 
I'm like, man, I want to do this stuff at home. And so I asked the guy who owned the little setup. I was like, hey, where I live in San Diego. Where should I go? And he's like, he's like, oh, just go to Invictus. That's dope. And I was like, okay. And that's when there used to be a different downtown location. Yeah, down in Little Italy. Yeah, and it was it was pretty intimidating. Okay. You know, like walking into that place and there's like cute girls that are lifting weights. I can't even budge and like <laughs> just like it was it was I thought I thought that place was intimidating. Okay. And so, so I you know I went and I signed up and um, Did you sign up the first time you went there? Had you or did you go in and try a class or two no, first? I just, I just was like I'm not going to mess around. Let's just go sign up. That's cool. That's pretty ballsy. I like that. But it was scary, you know, like I swear at that time there wasn't it didn't seem like there was very many coaches that were male or maybe yeah. i just they're like he's weak put him with the girls <laughs> <laughs> there's just all these girls and, but they're awesome and they'd all heckle you and yeah for sure and that was that was my introduction i'm definitely fitter something's changed for sure because i can do stuff that i could never do before for sure but back then you know i was just i don't even know why i was doing it so much i just i was just addicted maybe that to same feeling that you get in surfing skydiving base jumping motocross all that fun stuff maybe you get a similar feeling in the crossfit gym after you leave the cross yeah, yeah yeah not when you're I, I mean, there's, getting your ass handed to you I, a little bit there, i think there's a uh, there's a mindset of people that come to these gyms that for the most part they like to be punished yeah i think i mean at least the people that i work out with yeah I, I mean i'm sure there's exceptions i mean you and i geek out a little bit on david goggins and you know all, all his accomplishments but there, there's something to be said about the freedom that comes from discipline and, you know, yeah. suffering a little bit. And once upon a time, I asked Brandon, I said, why do you do this? Why do you work so hard? What is your why? Like, what is the purpose? And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, I want to be able to do whatever the fuck I want to do whenever the fuck I want to do it. That's right. And I thought that was such a powerful why. And to this day... Despite his accident, despite some of life's challenges, he still gets up, surfs every morning, finds a way to make it into the CrossFit gym, sneaks into yoga once or twice a week, still finds a way to play with a little bit of jujitsu, an all-around awesome human. And, you know, cycling back to your story, so they found the three ribs, they found some pretty pretty aggressive cuts and scrapes, you got diagnosed with the brain injury. What, what kind of happened after that? Well, after that, one of my first memories i remember being at up at scripps hospital in this doctor's office and he was like doing these tests and you know none of it really made sense to me then or now and he's like okay well this is what's going on you have your aorta is about to explode and how did they find that out through some of the tests they ran when i was in utah they they could see it wow and i was like i'm like well what what does that mean he's like well your aorta is like the hose leaving your heart mm-hmm. with all the fresh blood. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest artery in your body. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I'm like, well, what, what's the problem? He's like, your heart's pushing so much blood at such a high pressure. And I'm like, that's right. Yeah. He's like, no. he's like, your heart's like a fire hydrant. Your aorta's like a garden hose. And I'm like, yeah, so? And he's like, what would happen if you hooked a garden hose up to a fire hydrant? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, it would start swelling and then it would burst. Wow. He's like, if yours bursts, you bleed out internally in a minute. If it bursts right now, we couldn't get you into an operating room quick enough to save you. Holy crap. And so, and I was like, well, how do you fix it? And he's like, oh, simple. 
We just cut your sternum in half, crack your chest open, stop your heart, get in there, you know, put a fake one on, stitch you all back up, and you're good to go. You know, like, you know oh how doctors goodness. talk about it. So when you were in your accident and they diagnosed you with the brain injury, this, that, and the other, and then after the series of tests, in some ways, the accident almost saved your life because no, they were not, able to find this? Not almost. It 100% did. Wow. It was... Speak of divine intervention. That's your fucking walking no, miracle over here. 100%. And they even told me, they're like... We don't usually find these in young people because we just find them dead. Yeah. That is, that's like, I don't know about you guys listening, but that almost gives goosebumps to the back of my neck and gives me chills for a quick second. Tony Robbins always says life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. And, you know, maybe at the time when you're crashing into the mountain, you couldn't see that or feel that. But looking back, that's, that's pretty dope that, you know, a catastrophic base jumping accident ended up saving your life. Literally saving my life. That is, that's super freaking cool. So what did the doctor say next after he kind of explained to you that analogy of the fire said, hydrant and, and the garden hose? He said, yeah, you're going to have to have open heart surgery. And my honest first memory like clear memory is saying to him is fuck that. I'm not having open heart surgery. And he laughed. Wow. And he's like, dude, you got six months tops. Cause what they, went through your brain when he said that to you? I was like, fuck this. I, it was, I was just scared. Getting open heart surgery is way scarier than base jumping. Or once it was over, I'm happy now. Yeah, of course. But, um, it was everything. And I went to the best, heart hospital you can go to was that here in san diego no i went to the cleveland clinic in cleveland Ohio. How, how did you get with with the doctors and those guys over there we found out that this guy i want to say his name's jeff green yeah plays in the nba yeah he used to play for the celtics i'm not certain who he's with right now we found out that whatever year that nba lockout was i think 2012 okay in his preseason physical they found that he had the same thing exact same thing yeah wow and he went to the cleveland clinic had this guy, Dr. Lars Fenson, okay. do the surgery on him. And the next year, at, you know, because they didn't play for the whole year, right? Yeah. During the lockout. Yeah. The next year he was back in the NBA, the leading scorer for the Celtics. Wow. And I looked it all up. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, of course. I want what this guy got. Yeah, for sure. So we phone calls and nightmares, but we were able to get in with that doctor. How how much time between your, your original diagnosis and then needing the heart surgery were you able to get in with that doctor? The, the hard part was I had to get cleared by the neurologist for the head injury. Mm-hmm. Like they, he had to say, yes, I think he can handle the heart surgery. So you have a brain injury and open heart surgery or you're, you're pending yeah. open heart surgery at the same time. How did they, how did they do both? Obviously there's so many specialists. Well, now. I mean, I didn't have any surgery on my brain, Okay, but it just had to heal. And between some natural, some really good naturopaths that helped me just natural stuff like there's no medicine you can take to fix a brain injury of course diet i think that was really it my memory still sucks <laughs> but i mean you had to be pretty patient going through this though and patience is a very challenging skill especially for me so my my accident was september 12th my heart surgery was november 20th so two months ish okay. a little more than two months what was kind of going through your, your thoughts in that moment when you knew you were going to go have open heart surgery? I was terrified. Really? Nonstop. Well, were you still yeah. in the hospital at this time or were no. you able to come home? No, no, no. I was, I came home, like call it, I think I was in the hospital, maybe ended up being like two weeks. When you first got to the hospital after your injury, were you a hundred percent unconscious? I don't know. 
You don't know. I have no memory of it. Do they diagnose you in a coma or anything like that? I don't know. I know that I, and I believe Roner told me this, that I came to and, you know, I like, I knew who I was. I knew what happened. And then they went to dinner and came back and my brain started bleeding. Oh, wow. And because of the pressure and the injury, like I was just lights out. For how long? A few days, I think, because they had me in a uh, dark room mm-hmm. where you, like, you, you're not allowed to have visitors. You're not allowed to talk to anyone. There's mm-hmm. no loud noises, like, oh, wow. like no stimulation. But I don't remember any of that. But after you know a couple of weeks there, and then I got home and then slowly started having... I at least knew who I was. I knew my name. Yeah, but of I was course. still like, I think I was a bit of a crazy person. I mean, anybody would be a crazy person after an experience like that. Yeah. But then the, the heart surgery was, I mean, the hospital, that hospital was amazing. Like so nice and the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And even now when I go to the, the, my, my, uh, cardiologist, cardiologist see, I don't even know. <laughs> she, uh, like I told her who the surgeon was and she immediately knew. She's like, oh, he, Lars Svensson did your thing. Because he was, you know, he's like very cutting edge on this this stuff. Yeah. Sounds so. like he's very well known. And I mean, he obviously did a great job with Jeff Green. And you're clearly here and still thriving. So he did a great job with you too. Shout yeah. out to to Lars Svensson. Yeah, Lars Svensson. He's amazing. Crushing it, crushing it. And so you went through open heart surgery there in Cleveland. Yeah. And then what was what, what kind of took place after that? Um, I came home and just, it just sucked. Yeah. You finished all that kind of recovery, I guess we'll categorize it as. Yeah. At what point did you start physical therapy? Pretty immediately. So it started out as, um, it's called cardiac rehab Mm -hmm. and it's at the hospital and you know, my cardiologist, Dr. Adams, Christina Adams, she's, Mm -hmm. she's like, okay, you're going to go do this every day for an hour. Okay. And it was the complete opposite of this gym experience. <laughs> the opposite of CrossFit? I mean, it was like sit on, like they had these bikes that were like a chair. A station, like a seated stationary bike? Yeah. Nice. Like, oh, pedal on that for four minutes. Okay. And you know, the whole time that, and I get what they're doing. They're, you know, there's, there's a bunch of old people in there that have had uh bypass surgeries. And yeah. I was by far the youngest person in there. Nice. And everyone's like, what are you doing here? But you know, I think I was healthy enough where I could do those exercises pretty easily. So I went for a week. I called Dr. Adams. I said, I'm not doing it anymore. She's like, what do you mean you're not doing it anymore? I'm like, that, that's too easy. It's, it's harder for me to walk up the stairs to get in there than it is for me to do what they asked me to do. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I'm going to tell them to really ramp it up. I'm like, all right, I'll go one more week. So I went another week and then I was like, screw this. I'm not doing that anymore. So they had you on the seated stationary bike for four minutes. And then what they have you do? You mentioned the treadmill. What did they have you doing on there? Just basically just walking. And then they, they had all these other, like, they had like these hand bicycle things. Yeah. So they're basically trying to, trying to make your heart pump a little bit to make sure the valves are pumping blood out. And Yeah. I mean, and obviously it's, it's good, you know, to go slow with that. Cause yeah. you know, you spring a leak, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to be a tough guy or anything, but I was just like this. I just can't handle this. Yeah. Did you listen to music or anything to motivate yourself or you just go in cold-blooded? No, you can't listen to music. Oh, too stimulating? No, just like you're, it's not like a gym. It's like a office. Oh, gotcha. And they, and they, you're like, you have all these monitors on you and stuff. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, and they're probably great, great at what they do, but it just, it wasn't for me. And, you know, a couple of weeks of that. 
And then I told her, I'm like, I can't do that. That I'm going back to the gym where I used to go. Yeah. And I remember I called uh, Heather. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you think? You think I should? You think I should do it? She, and she's like, yeah. I'm like, I can't even do a push up. She's like, just go, just go. And then I can't remember who. I I remember specifically at this point now you were calling every day for like a couple weeks and we were like Brandon I'm sorry you need a doctor's note oh yeah yeah and then you were getting frustrated no that was uh what was her name Lindsay Lindsay yeah yeah she was like she's like so Lindsay Johnson is a uh, really awesome member of our Invictus community who used to manage our Point Loma location yeah and she was around when when I first started coaching here. You know, Brandon started calling and heckling her like, hey, when can I come back? When can I come back? And of course, with modern day legalities, just trying to make sure everybody's safe and taken care of. We had to politely decline until he had an appropriate doctor's note. And I, I want to say I might have faked that doctor's note. <laughs> no, no, I didn't fake it. But I don't know if you remember. It, Lindsay must have told me like, oh, Bryce is working here. Yeah, you should do. I think I in the beginning I did just privates with you, right? Yeah. But my cardiologist made me wear a heart monitor. Yeah, we monitored it on your phone. Yeah, and then I would have to send her that chart of my heart. The heart rate spiking a little bit and then seeing how it backed off and recovered. Yeah, and I don't know. You probably remember better than me. I don't remember how long we had to do that. I think we did it for about four weeks. And I remember, just to kind of paint a picture for those of you guys listening, Brandon came in. I hadn't met him before, and like we hit it off right from the beginning. He liked to cuss. I liked to cuss. <laughs> I tried to be nice to him, and he would yell at me and be like, "Don't be nice to me. Like if you're nice to me, I'm gonna fire you." <laughs> and so starting off, you know, I was anticipating being able to do isometric things like planks, hanging from a pull-up bar, wall sits. He wasn't able to do any of it, and I remember handing him a 14-pound medicine ball, and having him walk to the 400-meter mark and back. And that walk gradually became a little bit of a heavier ball and a gentle little shuffle like he was doing a ruck. And that eventually became a light jog, which eventually became some of the more complex things, you know, in, in the CrossFit space that you see now. Yeah, it was, I needed that, but it was horrible in the beginning. And yeah. it's, it's just like, you know, I felt like I was in the grand scheme of American men. I was like, wasn't overweight. I wasn't. I'd had a heart that was about to explode, but yeah. besides that, I was pretty good. And so we went through that journey, and you know, I remember in the beginning there was a few times I challenged you with, you know, holding a plank, which you did a really good job, in my opinion, managing pain. Right, like you would tr- at least try something before saying no, I can't do that, which I thought was pretty brave and pretty cool. And then, you know, planks eventually became mini push-ups, which became, you know, two push-ups, which became four, and just over time started to multiply and then we were hanging from the pull-up bar and you know doing hanging knee raises which eventually became toes to bar and pull-ups and you know kicking upside down and holding handstands on the wall and we integrated you know the, the basics of squats and pushing things and pulling things basically you know within that journey what would you say about seven months later you're like Bryce I want to do a muscle up yeah it was probably seven months I I can't. Re- we had some goal, like we were setting goals. Yeah, I remember when you when you set the goal specifically for the muscle up. Though it was the one year anniversary of your heart surgery. Yeah, so I want I wanted to do the muscle up by November twentieth. Yeah, and I mean that. Like thinking back on that, even though I still struggle with muscle ups. But... <laughs> I mean, you can do them, and you're successful with them every time you enter the gym now. So that's a win. 
it seemed like at the time, I feel like it was in my head more than anything. I mean, he went through and became a master at strict pull-ups, a master at push-ups, a master at dips, got really good at bodyweight basics. And I think he saw a lot of the girls doing the muscle up and he's like, yeah, I want to hang out with them. I want to do what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) And so we started doing some transitions on the low rings and we started doing jumping muscle ups off of a box. And then he, once he kind of mastered the swing a little bit, I'd kind of help spot him and toss him up there and ensure that he would catch. And it was a very, very cool process. But throughout the entirety of this, you know, he was in a, was it a motocross accident when you broke your shoulder? That was before. Yeah, that was before all the. All that this was the same year, story. 2014. I broke my shoulder in um, in Mexico. What month was that? Was it from a motocross yeah, accident? Yeah, I was, I was on a dirt bike. Yeah, dirt bike accident. Yeah. And then you mentioned in a skydive incident, you broke your back. Yeah, but that was years before. Yeah, yeah. But what vertebrae did you break? T8, the thoracic eight, so upper back a little bit. And then, so just to paint a picture for you guys, he not only had the brain injury, he had the open heart surgery, he broke a bunch of ribs, earlier on, 2014, broke his shoulder in a dirt bike accident, and then what year was it when you broke your back? That was probably four years prior. And so you can see, like, the amount of injuries that this guy sustained over time, like, you guys know the, the flexibility that the shoulder needs to do just you know toes to bar or some sort of just dynamic movement and the fact that he set the goal of a ring muscle up with limited range of motion in his shoulder his upper back doesn't move at all (laughs) I thought was pretty freaking aggressive but you know our job as coaches we're obviously never going to try to limit our athletes and you know we always try to maintain a childlike mindset because children believe all things are possible and we never once said that the goal wasn't going to happen we just had to find innovative ways to do it and mental tricks and perspective shifts along the way to make some of that magic take place. And then um, describe that, that evening, you know, or afternoon rather, at Point Loma when you officially made the muscle up. Honestly, the only thing I really remember about that is like I had to look around like, oh, did he push me? Because <laughs> I was like, oh, that was so easy. God, it's so easy when you do it right. He finally <laughs> learned to use his hips. He understood the kip swing. And, you know, it was the end of our session. I was getting ready to start our 4 p.m. class. And I remember looking at him and being like, hey, Brandon, take 10 minutes, hop on the rings, go play a little bit. Don't place any pressure on yourself. I'm going to sneak away and start the class over here. But hop up there, play, have fun. If you're successful, great. If not, don't worry about it. We're still going to keep this the goal. And this was what a, a couple weeks before the one year anniversary and so I go out and I'm kind of you know doing an icebreaker with our 4 p.m class kind of getting them started and then I sent them on a little run and all of a sudden I hear oh and the gym is just going off and fortunately CJ and um, a couple other uh, employees and athletes were in the gym and they were able to capture that amazing experience on video and I just remember seeing it from outside the gym and kind of peeking I'm like holy shit that dude's on top of the rings (laughs) and like I don't know I just thought it was so cool because it wasn't about the muscle up it was about recognizing the challenges that life presented to you overcoming those challenges not allowing them to be excuses within your life and still finding a a way to make it work despite having challenging circumstances presented your way and, you know, all of a sudden we smashed that goal, stepped on it, kicked it out the door and said, what's next? 
And I thought that was pretty dope. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely felt like a milestone, but I, f- I feel like my challenges compared to some other people's are pretty minor. And that right there, guys, that line sums him up in a nutshell. You know, super humble human being, you know, been through quite a bit in his life. He's like a cat with nine lives. You can't kill this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many more I got left. I think they're gone. I don't know, man. You've, you've done some pretty cool things. And, you know, just, just referencing some of the people that have taken part in some of these stories. You know, we always say iron sharpens iron and how you're the, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You know, I, to, to this day, I've, not, I've been very fortunate to meet quite a few people within Brandon Circle. And I have not met one person that doesn't like him. And that, that you know, expands not just from a friendship standpoint, but from a business standpoint as well. And, you know, I, I want to share a cool little personal vulnerability story. And I remember it was roughly when I first started Invictus. And financially, I was struggling a little bit. I don't know if you remember this, but I do specifically. And I talked to my mom on the phone and I was just like, hey, mom, you know, financially, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm probably not going to be able to buy a bunch of gifts this year for Christmas. And I don't know if you heard it or or what happened associated with that. But I remember the next day you came in with a massive box of Skull Candy stuff and you were working for Skull Candy at the time. I I remember bringing a big box, but I don't I don't think I would have been I'm too weird. I don't think I would have been comfortable giving you a big box i don't know we never officially talked about it so this is the first time we've talked about it on the podcast five years later which is pretty cool well plus i have a bad memory so (laughs) let's just chalk it up to me just being nice (laughs) yeah being a good being a good human you know and that's that's kind of what we're all about here at invictus is is using fitness as a tool to be the best man or woman that you potentially can and striving to maximize that potential and i just thought it was so cool he brought in a massive box of skull candy stuff. And despite the fact that I couldn't really afford stuff that year, I was able to wrap a bunch of that stuff and give it to my friends and family that year. And I don't know, it it always meant something a lot to me. And that was kind of, you know, the start of a really special friendship and, you know, kind of growing with fitness as that foundational piece, which is pretty, pretty special. You know, I, I talked about some of his connections in the business world and, you know, Brandon's one of the one of the big guys that is associated with the amazing CBD company Leaf Organics here in San Diego. Super awesome company. In the uh, 2016 CrossFit Games, we did it was it was my first experience really playing with the Worm, and being six four, you know, the Worm ate me alive at the 2016 CrossFit Games. And I came back with a pretty severe lateral hip injury. I never got it diagnosed or anything as a labrum tear or anything like that. But I just remember being in excruciating pain and Brandon bringing in the Leaf Organics salve. And I started using that stuff and brought me back so I could still play and do a lot of the things that I love. You know, I kind of want to touch base with you a little bit. You know, how did Leaf start in your life? And, you know, what are some of the cool things you guys are doing with Leaf right now? One of my best friends, um, a guy named Mike Anderson, who's probably going to get mad at me for putting his name out there. Nice. He was the first person that, that I'd ever heard about CBD from, and this is years ago. And he was just telling me how it's this 100 or 1,000 times more anti-inflammatory than ibuprofen and, you know, just all these health benefits. And he was one of the first people that told me about that Charlotte's Web movie. Mm-hmm. 
about that strain of cannabis that has such a low amount of THC in it that it doesn't have any psychoactive effects, but it has such a high CBD content that you get all the health benefits. And I mean, I don't even think they broke in the ice on the, all the real health benefits yet. Yeah, for sure. But that little Charlotte girl that was having like 3,000 seizures a day, mm-hmm. her dad or someone started making her this oil from that plant and she went down to like five a day. Wow. And there's a full documentary about it. That's amazing. And I don't know if I'm getting those numbers right, but you get the point. So that he started messing around with all these different strains and different ways to create. Like you said, now they have a they have a salve, like a topical. It's like the consistency of butter almost. Yeah. Um, and you just rub it on and it just like, it's not, it's not like a fake painkiller or something. It's just like one of those things all of a sudden you forget that you had an injury. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to describe it. And so Micah kind of started making this stuff. You got involved with them a little bit. Obviously a super cool product, right? Helping people live pain-free. Yeah. Helping manage seizures, cancer, all these different things. And, you know, just to preface, I mean, neither of us are doctors here. A lot of this is just trial and error and really cool testimonials and success stories. But, um, you know, what are, what are some of the other things that you guys have come out with with Leaf? I know I've seen the soaps. I've seen the really cool um, roll-on recently that has some of the menthol in it. Yeah, there's there's soaps. There's I mean, I'm not an employee of Leaf, you know. I, I've done work for them, and I, I do work for them. And most of the time, it's manual labor, whatever they need, because I'm mm-hmm. strong enough, because I come here. There you go. Um, but... Um, I have a, a side business where I sell their products. Where, where can people find it and, and um, connect with you? Sungrowngold.com. Okay. So for those of you guys listening, if you're, if you're looking to try to check out some of these leaf products and help with the anti-inflammatory properties, whether that's to get through your training or help with, you know, anxiety, sleep, you yeah, know, inflammation, I mean, all that stuff, you can find it at sungrowngold.com. Yeah. It almost sounds... It always, every time, like I hear anyone talk about it, it reminds me of like cowboy movies, the guy selling the snake oil, like, oh yeah, it helps with your sleep, with your pain. Yeah. Everything. Um, Would you say that it's pretty cool too? Like I haven't found side effects with it yet. Bad side effects? Yeah. I haven't seen any side effects from it yet. And for years, for me, I had years and years and years, I had the worst insomnia where I'd lay down to go to sleep at 10 o'clock. And my rule was if I was still awake at 4am, I would just get up. Yeah, I was functioning on let's call it an average of four or five hours a night sleep. Oh man, that is brutal. For you years. guys know in the health industry how important sleep is for everything. And then when I started using the tincture, I would take two drops before I went to bed. Literally two drops, not droppers, drops. Wow. And then I would take two drops in the morning, and I found the effects so good. I would forget that I was this sleep deprived weirdo yeah i would go lay down to go to sleep and i'd fall asleep and i'd wake up in the morning and then it made me so calm and level-headed yeah for sure that i stopped taking it in the mornings because i you know like i'd be in traffic or something drinking my coffee whatever i was doing and i would just be so calm cool, and <laughs> like oh wow man there's a lot of traffic today i wonder what happened you wanted you wanted to be a fireball in the morning yeah i wanted to be i wanted to be revved up so you know like I mean, and I think it's different for everybody. Everybody, everybody's body, you know, everybody has their own issues and it affects them differently. But like you said, there's not, I don't think there's been any, even through science, you know, I'm sure the government's done all kinds of tests on it because it's with the legalization now in so many states. Yeah. All, I mean, CBD is now legal in all 50 states. Wow. And you know, you have to be, you have to think about where you're getting it. Yeah, of course. You, you so, so let's dive into that for a second with so much CBD on the market now. 
everybody's advertising all the different effects of CBD. I see it in protein powders. I see it at every single fitness event. I mean, we had the San Diego Fit Expo a few weeks ago, and I think every booth had some form of CBD, whether it's capsules, this, that, and the other. How does this particular CBD differentiate itself a little bit? All the the plant matter that's grown to create the leaf organics CBD products Mm -hmm. is grown on a leaf organics farm. Oh, that's cool. Uh, they, and they're, they have multiple farms. Cause so it's privately owned and like individually sourced. It's privately grown from the seed. Uh-huh. You know, so they know there's no chemicals in the dirt. There's no pesticides. There's no, there's no, there's no nothing. They know that it's a hundred percent organic, a hundred percent safe. It's not being monkeyed with at all. Yeah. They're not getting cheap manufacturing stuff from, you know, across, across the pond. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's all being grown here. It's all being harvested, you know, by their people and the, all their extraction methods are, you know, chemical free. There's all kinds of, and I don't, I don't pretend to be an expert, but there's all kinds of CBD on the market that it has parts of the CBD mm-hmm. in it, but it doesn't have the, the whole plant for sure. And that, that's, that's, you can see that in the dosage, right? Like you yeah. were mentioning the, the benefits you received from just two drops taken sublingually underneath the tongue. Yep. Versus some of these companies are like, oh yeah, take two full droppers. You're paying an arm and a leg to get the the tincture bottle itself, but then it's gone in a few days because the dosage size is so high. And how much of that dosage are you absorbing sublingually? How much is going into the large intestine and dying? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But all I can speak to is the results. I personally know these people that that are farming this product and processing this product. And that I know that, you know, there's no monkey business. Yeah, of course. It's, it's a hundred percent on the up and up, you know, they're completely licensed. They pay all the exorbitant government fees and yeah, of course. taxes and all the crap because the government can't figure out how to get a handle on mm-hmm. this stuff. And at the end of the day, it's helping people. Yeah, that's, that's it. They're putting out a product that's, that's just helping. It's not getting people high. It's not, I mean, not that that wouldn't help some people, Yeah, right. <laughs> but it, you know, there's no psychoactive effects. There's no, there's nothing that's going to hurt you. Yeah. It's just and a healer coming, you know, hundred percent plant-based. It is proven that it, you cannot overdose. You'll just pee it out. Especially with, you know, you see it in fitness all the time, you know, more is better, Yeah. you know, but in reality, obviously, as we're, we're talking about with the minimal dosage here, better is better. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not necessarily the volume, it's the concentration. Look at you, you should write taglines, better is better. Oh, I, I've learned that from people a lot smarter than me. <laughs> I just listen sometimes. Yeah, man, like that's pretty cool that you're able to kind of get involved with those guys and, you know, use your fitness to, t- to take part in some of that manual labor and, and help people. I'm always a big believer that it help others succeed and you will too. Kind of wrapping things up, you know, your story, in my opinion, is absolutely amazing. You know, for those of you listening, I hope this inspires some of you guys out there. You know, if you're going through a tough time or, you know, experience some surgeries or some injuries or this, that, and the other, like, you can come back from it. You just have to maintain the, I'm going to use a verb here, or an adjective, rather, the Brandon Lillard mindset is definitely what you got to take on. (laughs) Don't do that. You might you might go crazy. Might go crazy. <laughs> just 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 don't have nine lives like like he does. That's a little bit living too close to the edge. I, I don't. I've used the, I've used all those nine. Now I gotta earn them. <laughs> now I gotta come here every day and you know like on the flip side of it, like thank you for putting up with my bullshit. <laughs> you know, like I'm just thankful to be a part of it and you know to to share one more quick fun story for you guys. Like there there was a time where I was 
really nice to Brandon. I was I was talking to him really nice, and I was trying to like give him some cool coaching pieces and some mindset shifts and you know give him some breathing mechanics and this that and the other. How I coach some other members and clients, and he texts me one day. He's like, "Hey, if you don't start talking shit to me, I'm gonna get rid of you." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was kind of cool, you know, just to sum up everybody gets motivated a little bit differently yeah absolutely. Um, you know if you were to give one message to the world you know wh- what would maybe that message be and, and and what do you want people to remember about brandon really lillard and the resilience that you have in life i i don't know just i i need to work on being a, a nicer human <laughs> maybe not just be such a hot-headed ass but uh, yeah i don't know just that i was just a happy nice guy a happy like, nice I feel guy. like i am yeah and you know like i if people are struggling and i know a lot of people are struggling with a lot of lot more shit than i ever had to sometimes you got i don't know who says it to because it's definitely not my line but sometimes you just gotta embrace the suck and just yeah get through the shitty stuff and and know that there's light at the end of the yeah, tunnel cause, i mean i'm even now what five years later it's not like i'm some like like when I walk in here, like if there's a new person at the desk, it's not like I look like some fitness person. They're like, um, yeah, can we help you? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go work out with that guy. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Where uh, where can people find you? Um, just my name, just Brandon Lillard. Brandon Lillard. That's where you guys can find this guy on Instagram. He is an advocate of Leaf Organic CBD. You can find him at sungrowngold.com. Yeah. And you know, check out some of his stuff. He's going to be jumping out of planes. He, I, I'm very fortunate I got to jump out of a plane with him and flip him off in the air, which was pretty cool. There's pictures on social there, media. Yes, there are. There are some cool pictures out there. You know, he, he's preparing to, to dirt bike a little bit, does some cool trips in Mexico, adventures all over the world. Uh, recently surfed with Laird Hamilton and some cool guys in Fiji. And so tune in, check him out a little bit. And thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Take care, guys.